are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Now, I'm a Baptist. I have never preached a sermon on why I'm a Baptist. I've been a Baptist since I was 11 years old. I'm 42 years old. That's 31 years. I'm a Baptist. I'm Baptist-born and Baptist-bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist-dead. I'm Baptist. From the crown of my head to the sole of my feet, I'm proud to be a Baptist. Sometimes we're a little bit skeptical about talking like that for fear we'll embarrass a Methodist. Well, if he says I'm a Methodist, he won't embarrass me. There's only one thing between the Methodist and me, and that's the river, and I'll meet him halfway. <laughs> right in the middle, and baptize him, we'll go out on this side. Now, I'm a Baptist. I love Methodists who are saved. I love Presbyterians who are saved. I love Pentecostals who are saved. I'm a little bit disturbed over some of the Pentecostals' actions in recent years. And I do believe the Lord is using, the, uh, the devil is using the charismatic movement to help to bring about the one world church because it's a ground upon which men fellowship today even when they disagree on the fundamentals of the faith. When a man begins to study the Bible, he cannot stay in a movement that's erroneous and teaches error. Now, I'm not only a Baptist, I'm, I'm a fundamental Baptist. Uh, you're my congregation, I'm talking to you, I'm a fundamental Baptist. Uh, that's the word that's often misused today. But it's a good word. I like it. Fundamental. It's, there's a strong sound about the word. And everybody uses the word except when it comes to religion. Now, when we talk about being fundamental Christians, nobody should get upset about that. In everything, you have your fundamentals. And in Christianity, you have your fundamentals. Now, I would die for the fundamentals of the faith. You can hang me up tomorrow and crucify me before you'll get me to back down on the virgin birth of Christ to compromise it. The virgin birth of Christ is a fundamental of the faith. I've preached on it here. I'm not going to preach on it tonight. I'm just going to iterate it. I die for that. Because if Christ is not virgin born, he inherited the same sin nature you did. And if he inherited the same sin nature you did, you do not have a sinless substitute to die on the cross for your sins. Hence, you have no Savior and no plan of salvation, and no way to get to heaven. That's the fundamental of the Christian faith. Now mark that one down. If you won't put it on your list, put it down. Dr. Hudson will die for the virgin birth of Christ, who would have a compromise that. Mark down number two. I'll die for the substitutionary death of Christ. I mean by that Jesus Christ became our substitute 2,000 years ago. And God took all of our sin the sin that we have committed, the sin we will commit. God laid those sins over on Jesus. I don't have time to quote all the Bible verses. I'll just give you one alone. Isaiah 53, 6. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, that's enough for me. I don't need more than one verse. That's it. If the Bible said, Jehovah, God in heaven, place my sin on Jesus, that's enough for me. I believe that. And while he bore my sin on the cross, God punished Jesus in my place so that I could go to heaven free of charge. 
And everybody goes to heaven free of charge. If you go to hell, you pay your own way. But if you go to heaven, you ride on a free pass. Romans 6.23, the wages, the payoff of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's the fundamental. To me, the greatest truth that ever coursed through my brain was the truth of the substitutionary death of Jesus. When I got hold of that, I got so excited I wanted to run and scream and yell. I got so excited about that when I really understood that every sin, like taking pieces of paper and, and gym clips and trash, all my sins were laid over on Jesus, the little lies I told, the ugly thoughts I had, the acts of disobedience, every little sin from the day I was born, little sins that I'd forgotten about, little things that I didn't classify as sin, that God did classify as sin because God is so much holier than I am. Every little sin and big one was laid on Christ 2,000 years ago. When I closed my eyes and could see in my mind all of my guilt being transferred to Jesus and see him being made sin for me who knew no sin, I got so excited I wanted to run and shout and say, Glory to God, glory to God. That's a tremendous truth. Now, that's the fundamental of the Christian faith. Now, we're not against anybody. But we are for the Bible. And a man who comes along and preaches another plan of salvation and denies the substitutionary death, then I can pray for him and hope he'll get saved. But I can't be sweet toward him. I can't kiss him and pat him on the cheek and tell him what a good guy he is. I gotta tell him he's a dirty, low down, stinking lizard. That's what I gotta tell him. And I gotta tell him he's denying one of the great fundamentals of the Christian faith. You don't jump that, buddy. That you just gonna lay it aside. That's important. I'll die for that. You never budge me off that. You may as well forget it. I'm I'm here to stay on the virgin birth and the blood atonement of Christ. I'm there to stay. Third, on the literal physical resurrection of Jesus. Somebody said, well, it doesn't make any difference whether it's virgin born or not, or whether he was raised from the dead or not. That's not important. Wait a minute, buddy. You are demonstrating your ignorance. And the sad thing that in seminaries and Bible colleges across America, professors stand up and say, well, it doesn't make any difference whether he's virgin born or not. The main thing is he was a good man and lived a good life and showed us how to live. Not a word of that is true. It is true that he was a good man. That's not even true. He was a perfect man. He wasn't a good man. He's a perfect man. He is God in human flesh. He didn't live a good life. He lived a perfect life. And he didn't live to show you how to live. He came to this earth for one reason. One reason only he came to die on a cross. To suffer hell in your place. To fix it so you could go to heaven when you died if you come by the way of the cross. But you have to come by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. You'll never get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross you miss. That's the only way to heaven. There's not two ways, three ways, and four ways. Now, wait a minute. That's what's wrong with your Baptist all just narrow, narrow, narrow. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I didn't read this out of a Baptist manual. I read it out of the Bible that you Methodists have and you Presbyterians have. Amen? And in this Bible it said in Acts 4, 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, 
For there's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. That's the only way. John 14 and 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. You say, well, what about Mohammed? What about him? You go to hell by being a Mohammed. Say, what about Confucius? He's confused. You go to hell by following him. Where'd you get that? Go down the Bible. That's where I got it. Say, what about the seven-day Adventists? If they believe what they say they believe, most of them will go to hell. Because they believe you go to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. And they believe the violation of the Fourth Commandment will constitute the mark of the beast. They're all mixed up. I know I got ten folks who are seven-day Adventists. Don't look at me like a bullfrog in a hailstorm. I don't know what I'm talking about. You want to debate? Get yourself up here. You don't, don't grin at me like that. Talk to me, man. Come on. There's never has been the one way to go to heaven. If there's another way to go to heaven, Jesus Christ died as a fool on that cross. He went out there and suffered what he suffered when you can go another way. Jesus Christ is the biggest fool that ever lived. But, sir, there's no other way. That's the only way to go to heaven. That's why Jesus said... As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Amen. It's imperative that I die on a cross. If I don't die on a cross, there'll be no salvation. That's the only way. Don't budge me on that. Don't come knocking around me, telling me you're going to heaven some other way, telling me you got your own idea about religion. I don't care about your idea of religion. You say, I don't care about yours either. I may surprise you, I don't care about my ideas either. But I think a whole lot of what the Bible says. And when you start nailing it down, they say, well, that's your idea. No, it's not. It's the Bible. It's not idea. It's the Bible. Then they come and say, well, that's your interpretation. All right, you interpret this. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. You interpret it. You dirty ignoramus, you know what that means. That means the only way to go to heaven is through Jesus. That's what it means. That's just your way of trying to defend your fallacy and your false doctrine by saying that's your interpretation. And every man has his own interpretation. The problem is not with interpretation. The problem is accepting what Jesus said and believing it. That's the problem. And this interpretation business is a smoke screen you throw up. To cover up your dirty modernism. That's what's the matter with you. Amen. I said I was just going to mention these, didn't I? Well, I'm just mentioning them. I'm leading up to my sermon. Man, you, you don't compromise these. These are the great fundamentals of the faith. And I can't nail them all down. It takes, each one deserves an hour sermon. But I believe in the physical, the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe he came out of that tomb bodily. And they told me they took dirt out of Gordon's tomb and subjected it to a thorough scientific analysis. And the scientists agreed after testing that dirt that nobody ever decayed in that tomb. Well, I liked that. It made me feel good when I read the science report. But I knew before they ever reported that nobody ever died in that tomb. Or no body ever corrupted in that tomb or decayed in that tomb. Because after three days and nights, Jesus Christ came out of that grave. You say, well, what does it matter whether he was raised from the dead or not? It matters a lot. Five times before he was crucified, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. 
If he hadn't have been raised from the dead, I wouldn't know he was who he claimed to be. If he wasn't raised from the dead, then he didn't fully pay my sin debt. You get this straight here. The resurrection of Christ is a declaration from God Almighty that I accept the payment that Jesus made for your sins and I'll raise you from the dead showing that I'm satisfied with his sufferings on the cross for salvation. And that's why on Easter morning we get excited. Because Easter morning says God is satisfied with the payment Jesus made for my sins and I won't have to make that payment. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The resurrection of Jesus physically and literally distinguishes Christianity from all other religions of the world. All other religions have a founder who lived and died and was buried and they're still in their grave. But Christianity has a founder who lived and died and was buried and after three days and nights he came out of the grave and the grave is empty. And in the same body he's in heaven now, seated by the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back someday to receive us unto himself and later come back with us to reign on the earth. If you're a premillennial, if you're not, he'll do it anyway. <laughs> You'll turn free sooner or later. And the fourth fundamental that I die for is the verbal inspiration of the Bible. I can't preach on verbal inspiration. I want to tell you, though, I believe this Bible is the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Amen. Amen. I mean, every word's the Word of God. Oh, I guess they man wrote the Bible. Error crept in through the years. Why don't you show me where it crept in at? We're just talking about it. Why don't you show me some of it? I've heard so much talk about it. Nobody shows you now. Just talk about it. Full of contradictions. Why don't you just show me one of them? Instead of talking about them. Truth of the matter is, you can't find the contradiction in the Bible. There's not one there. And you don't have any friends who know one. You just swallowed that hook, line, and sinker. When some doctor bottle stopper got up and spit it out, you thought it was true because he had a degree. Well, I read a book or two myself, fellow. I have two degrees myself. I'm an official paradox. I got a doctor of humanities. When I got it from Dr. Howes, it said H-U-M period D. I thought it stood for humdinger. Stands for Doctor of Humanity. Don't even know what it is, but I am one. I'm a doctor of divinity, but my divinity don't need me a doctor, and he's not sick. But anyway, just because a fellow goes through college, everybody puts their confidence in him. And I hear people trying to support their claims by saying, uh, great men of renown and the scientific minds have been investigated and all agree. That, that makes you say, ooh. <laughs> so you believe you ascended from some sort of an ape jumping across the ground called some scientific mind. Well, I got a scientific mind. I don't believe that jump. If you believe in evolution, don't come to me as the service and argue with me. You know more about your kin folks than I do. <laughs> But I don't have any ever hung by the tail. I had a few hung by the neck, but none of them ever hung by the tail. Once I was a tadpole, long and thin. Then I was a bullfrog with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey hanging from a tree. Now I'm a professor with a Ph.D. I can't buy that monkey tail myself. You can have it if you want to. 
No intelligent man can believe in the foolish theory of evolution. The only people who believe in it are those who don't want to believe the Bible, and their only alternative is the Bible. Man hadn't been coming up, 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 up. Man's been going down, 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 down since his creation, not up. You can't find anything living in the process of evolution, nothing. You didn't say nothing. Go find me something evolving. Please, show it to me. Now, my boy's getting bigger, but he's still a boy. Still a human being. One generation may be a little taller than the other. Another may be a little wider than the other. It has nothing to do, has to do with eating habits, though. <laughs> but they're still human beings. Let me hurry. I don't have a watch tonight. Thank you, John. <laughs> It's a quarter of seven, according to this watch. <laughs> now, the Bible is the Word of God. That's the fundamental. Now, you may say, yeah, but scientific minds, shut up. Shut up. You don't have enough sense to get out of the ring. You be careful when you go out of car run over you, sir. Somebody help that guy out. The Bible is the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Every word of it is the Word of God. I believe it all. Do you ever think I'm going to move off of it? You're crazy. I'm the only one that ever believes. Keeps on believing. I'm going to die believing the Bible is the Word of God. I don't have time to tell you, but i got a book upstairs called 57 Reasons Why. If you don't have it, ask my secretary, Miss Hoffman, to get it for you. And it gives you 57 reasons why the Bible is the Word of God. No man can read that book and doubt the Bible is the Word of God. The truth is, people don't want to know the truth. That's the truth. They don't want to know the truth. They want to be in the dark. Because to know the truth, they have to do something about the matter of salvation, so they just turn their minds and close their minds to the Bible. Something else I die for. I die for the virgin birth, the substitutionary death, the physical resurrection of Jesus, the verbal inspiration of the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. I die for that. Out of the way. The Gallup... George Gallup took a poll in an article somewhere in my Bible or somewhere. Somebody handed me last Sunday. You may already ask three questions. He said, have you been born again? 34% of American people said they've been born again. He said, you believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God? 48% of the American people said they believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. That percentage is declining. About half of us believe it now. I like that, man. We're getting on the right track. Amen? He said, how many ever, have you ever witnessed... And a large percent said they had witnessed. That's three unusual questions for George Gallup to be asking people on the telephone. I'm wondering what the response was when he called up and said, We're taking a poll. Have you been born again? He probably said, You from Forest Hill Baptist Church? <laughs> well, we do a poll like that every Thursday night over here. <laughs> we ask folks every Thursday, Have you been born again? Do you know if you died, you'd go to heaven? Now, something else, the second coming of Christ, I'd die for that. I'd die for that. Now, here's some things I'd fight for. By the way, I'm a premillennialist. I've been in the premillennial return of Christ. I don't have time to preach the premillennial doctrine, but mark it down. If I ever ask you what your preacher is, you say, he's premillennial. He's so pre, he won't eat post-toasties. <laughs> he's so pre, when he goes to the doctor, he says, stick your tongue out and say, oh, he said, they ain't going to do it. They ain't going to do it. I wouldn't say, oh, for nothing. I'm not an all-millennialist. Now, if you don't understand the doctrine, just forget it for the time being. We'll preach on it some other time. 
but I'm a premillennial preacher. Amen? Amen. And I, I die of those five things, second coming. Now, here's some things I fight about. Baptism, I fight about that. I wouldn't hurt you bad about it. But, I mean, I, would, I, I wouldn't just back off and say, well, it don't make any difference. That's what I'm trying to say. I wouldn't say, well, you Methodists, don't make any difference where you sprinkle, you square it on with a garden hose or what you do. <laughs> no, sir, I'm going to stand up and say, you, I'm going to say that you not baptized. All you say, you mean if a man was sprinkled water, he wasn't baptized? That's what I mean, he wasn't baptized. You say, why? Because the Bible said so. When this King James Bible was being translated into English, and they came to the Greek word baptizo, the Church of England practiced sprinkling. And the Bible translators went to the king and said, if we translate baptizo, it'll have to be translated to dip, to bury, to put under. And the Church of England sprinkles. Which, by the way, there was, there was no separation of church and state there. It was, a, it, was a, it was the state church. And if the king contradicted the state church, he's in trouble. Now listen. So your word baptism in the Bible is an interesting little word because it's not a translated word. It's a transliterated word, which means they did not put the meaning down in English from the scripture that it was translated from, but they spelled it out in English letters to read baptism, but the meaning of the Greek word baptizo means to dip under or place under, and King James was in a predicament. If he said translate it like it ought to be translated, he'd have been in trouble with the church state, the church of England, the sprinkle. So to stay out of trouble with the church, and that's another thing I believe, the separation of church and state, I can't talk about it now, a little later. So he said, don't translate it, then transliterate it. But the original Greek word means to dip under, to bury, to put under, to bury, get it out of the water. That's what it means. Now don't look at me so funny. If you doubt it, go look it up for yourself. And if you have a Methodist friend who's a scholar, he'll have to tell you the same thing I'm telling you. And if you pin him down about it, he'd have to smile and say, well, if, if you want to be baptized, I'll baptize you. And when he says that, he admitted you weren't baptized and you were sprinkled. If you ever go and say, uh, uh, what about being baptized now? Well, he said, we sprinkle here. He knows that's not baptized. I asked a Methodist, I spoke with some Methodists about three or four weeks ago, independent Methodists, fundamentalists. But they are wrong on baptism. I said, what do you do when you're baptized? Well, he said, we sprinkle some. If they want to be baptized, we baptize them. Well, what he said then was he admitted sprinkling wasn't baptized. Now, if you hadn't been put out under the water, covered up, all over, you hadn't been baptized. Now, you getting awful quiet. I thought I had a Baptist church here. I... Now, I'll fight for baptism. I'll say, I'll tell a Methodist, you're wrong. I'll go ahead and say, John Wesley, you should have been baptizing your converts, not spanking them. The Bible said we are buried with him in baptism. You ever buried anybody? Now, I buried a lot of folks. I never did bury one by standing him up erect on the ground and spanking dirt on top of his head. <laughs> If that's the way you bury folks, I don't want you burying me. 
When you bury somebody, you dig a hole. As a matter of fact, it's six foot deep nowadays. So I guess water increased the depth of our baptistry some, maybe. I don't know. You'd have sat on a step ladder, wouldn't you? <laughs> Romans 6 said, We're buried with him in baptism. That means we're put under the water. We're buried. That we should be raised to walk in newness of life. When they uncovered some of the early churches, they found baptismal pools in the buildings. You say, baptism is not important, or I'm going to tell you something. Jesus Christ walked 90 miles to be baptized. That's as far as near to Athens, Georgia. For one reason, to be baptized of John in Jordan, read the Bible, see where he left and where he went to get baptized. He went to where John was baptizing in Jordan, and John was baptizing there, the Bible said, because it was much water. Now, if he was sprinkling... He could have done it with a teacup. He could have baptized him in his canteen. He wouldn't have needed much water. Talk to me. Talk to me, son. Come on. And John, Jesus went down into the water. Not the teacup full of water. I can't see John and Jesus going down the teacup together. But I can see him going out in a river somewhere or a lake. By waist deep, and he baptized him. And the Bible said, when Jesus was come up out of the water, dove came down from heaven and lit on him, and a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Only three times did God ever speak from heaven and say, I'm pleased. And one time was immediately after Jesus' baptism when he came out of the water. Jesus, God him said, I like that. I'm pleased with that. And if baptism pleases God, then I want to be baptized. You say, would you die for that? Nope, nope. But I won't won't let you buy on it too easy. I'll tell you if you hadn't been baptized by immersion, you hadn't been baptized. What mode do you use, sir? There's not but one mode. Never has been, there will be. That's to put them down in the water. Now, you know, sometimes that turns people off on the Baptist. They get a little angry. Well, these people they think they're the only ones that's right. No. Bible's right. And you know, you could get with the Bible, too. Just because you're a Methodist don't mean you couldn't get with the Bible. You say, I believe in the fundamentals. Okay, shake hands, I'll fellowship with you. But I'll keep telling you all to be baptized. I'll keep saying you had not been baptized. If you join this church and you hadn't been baptized, we'll, we'll require you to be baptized. If you were sprinkled, you wouldn't baptize. We'll require you to be baptized here. Because you weren't baptized. I'm a Baptist. I think I told you that, didn't I? <laughs> now, I don't believe in baptism like one old fellow did. That's all he preached on was baptism. Every morning, every night, every Wednesday night, baptism. Boy, he loved baptism. He's hung up on it. One of the deacons came to us and said, we've heard baptism every Sunday for seven or eight weeks. We're tired of baptism. We believe in baptism, but can't you preach on something besides baptism? He said, I can preach on any text in the Bible. If you choose a text, I'll preach. They said, well, why don't you preach on that text that says the axe is laid at the root of the tree? And every tree that bringeth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. 
The old deacon didn't think he'd get baptism out of that. The next Sunday morning he got up and said, I'm preaching this morning from the deacon's text. The axe that leadeth the root of the tree, and every tree that bringeth not the good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And after some preliminary remarks, he reared back and said, And why do you think they're cutting those trees down? <laughs> Bless your heart, he said, they're clearing out a path to the creek so they can have an old-fashioned baptism. <laughs> I'm not trying to get baptism in every verse, but if you're going to do it, do it right. Amen? Amen. My daddy, you say anything worth doing, worth doing right. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, you've been saved, and you haven't been scripturally baptized by immersion, I'd get up and come down that aisle and say, I'll obey Christ and be baptized. Amen? Amen. Now, I won't, I won't die for that, but I'll fight for that. that is, I'll fight for eternal security. Ah, oh, you Baptists, y'all believe once saved, always saved. Amen. Amen. That's me. Now, Brother Curtis, don't Brother Curtis me till I get through with you. I want to show you something. More and more I'm worried about people who don't believe in eternal security. Before I didn't understand the gospel, I didn't worry about them too much. But the more I understand the gospel, the more I worry about them. Right. If a fellow believes you can get lost after you get saved, then I question whether or not he really believes in the substitutionary death, which is one of the fundamentals. You say to me, Dr. Hudson, I believe in the substitutionary death. You do? What does that mean? That means Jesus Christ became my substitute and died for all my sins that I ever have committed or ever will commit. If you say you believe he died for the sins that you committed up until the time you were saved, you don't believe in his substitutionary death. Not part of your sins were laid on Christ. All your sins were laid on Christ. You see, he didn't die when you got saved. He died before you were born. And all your sins were future when Jesus died because you weren't even in existence. And God looked into the future and saw all the sin you ever would commit, and he placed that sin on Jesus before you ever came into the world, and Jesus died for your sins. Now, what are you going to say? Jesus died for some of my sins? Then, all right, hold it. Hold it right where you are. If he died for some of your sins, then you and I disagree on one of the fundamentals. Talk to me. Then you just denied the substitutionary death of Jesus, which is one of the great fundamentals of faith. Huh? If you can get lost after you get saved, what do you do to get lost? Well, a fellow said to me, I had him corner me in a house one night. I went sorting on Thursday night and some preachers were there, about five, I believe. I knew they were preachers. You can always tell them. They were sitting around. I went and I said, oh, something fishy about this. I no longer got to sit down before they jumped on me. Well, you Baptists, you believe once saved, always saved. And you don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost and evidence speaking in tongues. Hold it, I said, one thing at a time. Which one first? Always saved, isn't it? I'll take that in first. I said, you think you can get lost after you get saved? He said, yes. I said, what do I have to do to be lost? He said, get into sin. Commit sin. I said, is that right? He said, yeah. I said, all right, hang on there where you are. Turn to James chapter 4. Last verse. Let me ask you something before you read it. Don't you know that you 
Should have been out so in the night rather than trying to hem me up, marking me about eternal security. Yeah. I thought I was going so winning. I was brought to this house under false pretenses. Somebody pretended they wanted somebody to show them how to be saved. Now I got five preachers who believe in falling from grace over here. Won't argue about eternal security. Now you got me away from sowing. That wasn't good, was it? He said, no. I said, wouldn't it have been a good thing if you just left me alone? He said, yes. And I said, wouldn't it have been good if you five preachers had gone soul winning and I'd gone at six preachers out soul winning instead of arguing? Wouldn't it have been good? He said, yeah. I said, now read James 4, verse 7. 17, the last verse. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is what? And he, did, he wouldn't say it. He said, well, there's more verses than that. I said, I know. There's a lot of verses, thousands of them. But what does that verse say? Well, he said, I don't care about the more verses. What does that verse say? He that knows to do good and do it not to him, it's sin. Sin. S-I-N, sin. And you just admitted you knew to do good and you're not doing it. And to you, it is what? He wouldn't say, well, I, I said, all right, you don't have to say. The Bible said it's sin. He said, all right, it's sin. I said, then according to your own teaching, you're all five lost and going to hell. Amen. And one of them said, we haven't sinned enough yet. I said, oh, man, shut up. Good night, Olympus. What about take the Bible and show me where it says how much you have to sin to get lost? He's hard. Somebody said, no, you get lost if you quit believing, if you quit trusting. Somebody said, if you, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth not shall be damned. All right, if you quit believing, then you would be damned, right? Right. Well, I didn't write it. He that believeth not shall be damned. All right, I'm going to put my faith in this chair. You get up, John. Let me have it. clergy seat here. I'm going to sit down. How long have we been in this church? Four years? Four years. Four years ago, I came here the first time. I had never sat on that clergy seat or chair. Four years ago, I walked in here, and I sat down right here. The first time I sat down, I didn't sit down with the confidence I do now, because I'd never sat here before. I didn't know whether I saw it or not. First time I sat down, I checked it out a little. And then I sat down. Not going nowhere. <laughs> Hold me good. I've been sitting on that thing four years. I don't, I don't mean without interruption, but I mean I've been coming here. <laughs> I trust it more now than I did the first time I sat on it. If I come to Jesus Christ, I believe he died for my sins, and I put my confidence in Christ, and I put my total reliance on Jesus Christ, and I lean on him for my salvation. The only thing that will ever cause me to quit trusting this clergy seat is that I'd be sitting here sometime, and it'd start to fall out from under me. The leg go crack, and I'd come up. But as long as it holds me, I'm going to trust it. Now, when you came to Jesus Christ, you trusted Him. And the only thing that will cause you to quit trusting Him is when He starts crumbling out from under you. But you and I both know that He never crumbles, that He never changes. 
And the longer you trust him, the stronger your faith gets. Not the weaker, but the stronger. I have more faith than that today. You can sit back up here, John, if you like. <laughs> the longer you trust him, the more you do trust him. You'll never get to the place where you quit trusting Jesus if you really trusted him at the first time. Because uh, he himself is the assurance that you'll never mistrust him. Don't you see that? I don't have time to preach an hour on eternal security, but that's one thing that makes us Baptists. We believe in salvation by grace through faith and the eternal security of the blood-bought believer. Now, don't go around and say we believe in the perseverance of the saints. I don't like that. That's Calvinistic language. I don't believe in the perseverance of the saints. I don't believe the saints say, mm, mm, hold out to the end, persevere, and hang on, make sure I don't get mad at my wife, pay all the bills, make them persevere, make it to heaven. We don't persevere. I don't believe in the perseverance of the saints. Don't ever tell anybody I do. You say, I thought you believed in eternal security. I do, but I don't believe in the perseverance of the saints. I believe in the preservation of the saints. Jude verse 1 said we are preserved in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you ever preserve anything? You put a pickle in a jar, or preserves, hair preserves, put a lid on it and tighten it down and seal it. If it spoils, it wasn't preserved. The fact that it's spoiled indicated it wasn't preserved. Now, the Bible said we are preserved in Jesus Christ our Lord, Jude, verse 1. You got it? Now, some of you look like you've been pickled. But you've really been preserved. You're supposed to be sweet, not sour. Preserves are sweet. I've seen some pickled Christians, but they're supposed to have been preserved. Now, that's the preservation of the saints, not perseverance. Preservation. You see these preserved down this jar, all sealed up and preserved. And the now are, are the saints preserved? Are, 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 are the are the pairs preserved? Are are the pairs persevering? These pairs down in that jar on the top of them. Now don't you rot. We're gonna persevere till they open us up and eat us. Don't make no don't let no germs get in it. Now, you, you talk like you're outside the jar. Huh? Amen. You're inside of Christ. You're sealed inside of Christ. You're tough for the power of God and the salvation. You don't keep yourself. He keeps you. Yeah, I'll fight for eternal security because the fellow doesn't believe in eternal security is trusting something other than what Jesus did at the cross to get him to heaven. If you believe you can be lost for anything that you do after you get saved, the thing that you refrain from doing is the Savior and not Jesus. Got it? Huh? I preach too long, but you must. These are some things I fight for. I believe in the eternal security of the blood-washed believer, not, not the perseverance of the saints, that's Calvinistic talk. I believe in the preservation of the saints. We don't keep ourselves, we're kept by the power of God. You say, but what if a man gets out and lives wrong? He'll be chastised. I heard a guy say, but what if a fellow got drunk? 
You know, people believe in losing salvation always come with that say. Now, here's a man that got saved in a church, was a good Christian ten years, and went out and got drunk, and had a wreck on the way home and got killed. You mean he went to heaven? Yeah. Ooh. What, he died drunk? Yeah. Went to heaven? Yeah. If he trusted Christ. Now, Brother Curtis, now wait a minute, wait a minute. He didn't have time to confess it. And God didn't have time to chastise him. <laughs> what do you mean? He got killed, didn't he? That's pretty bad whipping. God killed him in a car wreck, took him on to heaven, said, I ain't going to have my Christian, my boys going around drunk, kill you. Amen. That's the ultimate chastise. You can't get a worse chastening in that. That's the ultimate Christian chastisement, death of the believer. You say, now you condoning drinking, you know better than that. Nobody preaches more against liquor than I do. I'm not condoning any kind of sin. What if, David, what if God had come when David was in the process of committing adultery with Bathsheba? Would David have gone to hell? No, sir. He went to heaven, but he went to heaven in a shame Christian with a red face. Talk to me. What if Jesus had come when Noah was drunk and naked? Oh, he'd have went to heaven. He'd have went to heaven in a shame, Christian. He'd have went to heaven. What if Jesus had come when Lot was out in that cave committing incest with his two daughters and got drunk and carried wine out of Sodom to get drunk with? There's no liquor store in that cave. He'd have went to heaven, but he went to heaven in a shame, Christian. Did you see that? That's it. God chastens believers. Yeah, I believe in eternal security. I'll fight for it. I don't know what I'd die for that, but I'd fight for that. Baptism, I'll fight for it. I don't think I'll die for it, but I'll fight for it. I'll fuss about it. I won't break fellowship with you if you disagree with me on baptism or eternal security. I'll fellowship with you if you disagree on those two. But if you disagree on any of the five that I mentioned first, I won't even fellowship with you. If I did, I would disobey 2 Corinthians 6.14. So I must obey the scriptural injunction, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Amen. And I preach to you. And you know I'm right about it. I give you about ten more points about eternal security. I don't have time to do it. Jesus said, I'll say to them in that day, depart from me, you that work iniquity, I never knew you. Not I once knew you, and you backslid and got lost, and I don't know you anymore. But I never knew you. If they were one time saved and then lost, he could never say, I never knew you. He'd have to say, I once knew you. If he said, I never knew you, he'd be lying. He'd have to say, I once knew you, and I don't know you anymore. But those that goes away from Christ, he'll say, I never knew you. You never were saved. And this is not condoning sin. And this is not a license of sin because God will chastise a believer who does sin. I must quit. There are several other things I wanted to mention tonight that I'd fight for. Some Baptist distinctives, and I'm a Baptist. I just want you to know it. I want you to be proud of you, Baptist. I don't want you to be stuck up. I don't want you to go around town and say, Me and Baptist, everybody's going to hell but us. I don't like that kind of Baptist. I think some Methodists are going to heaven and Presbyterians. But I want you to know that that Baptists have stood for things during the year like eternal security, uh, baptism by immersion. And I guess one reason I'm preaching is I passed a church today. I passed about two miles of a church today. 
They changed the name from, from a Pentecostal to a Baptist. You may know where it's at. They call themselves the Charismatic Baptist. There's no such animal alive. What happened is, uh, well, you get some Baptists watching the 700 Club instead of going to prayer meeting in church. When you ought to have been at prayer meeting where you ought to have been. You say, I listened to all that and some businessman got on talking about the full gospel, full gospel. They don't know what the gospel is. They wouldn't know the gospel made in the middle of the road. They, when they say full gospel, they talk about an experience and make chills go up your back and you jabber. Full gospel, full gospel. The gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. They don't talk about that. They talk about speaking in tongues. Do you have it? We got it. If you ever get deep as we are. You know, the tongue's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. It's set on fire of hell and sets on fire of the course of nature. All kind of beasts have been tamed with the tongue no man can tame. The best thing you do is try to hold that thing. Put a little, little, little with it. You say you're making fun, not making fun, preaching the truth. Yeah. <laughs> preaching the truth. And I'm sick. I, you know, that embarrasses me. I'm a Baptist. And the guy said, I'm a charismatic Baptist. Man, I get sick. That's deceit. The guy that's got a charismatic Baptist church was downtown Atlanta when I was a little boy a Pentecostal all his life. And the church wouldn't grow with a Pentecostal name on it. And he saw these independent Baptist churches and these soul-winning Baptist churches start flourishing and growing and he thought if he stuck the name Baptist out it'd attract some Baptists who'd been watching the 700 Club. Talk to me, man. I'd rather you watch Johnny Carson. Get more good out of it. Oh, man, I sat a little close that time, didn't I? <laughs> man. Do you more good than watching that stuff? Get you so mixed up you don't know where you're going. Now, if you're a Baptist, wave your banner high and be a Baptist. If you're a Pentecostal, get out and be one. If you're in here tonight and you go around jabbering in tongues and you think you've got a corner on God, you need to join a holiness church. You're in the wrong church. You're in a Baptist church here. And you'll never be a charismatic Baptist as long as I'm fasting. You get up and start jabbering in here and I'll knock you down. You ain't jabbering to my crowd. You go get your own crowd. I've been working years to get this crowd together. And they let you get a crowd together and they want to come in and tell their experience. How they prayed through and saw a light. Felt bugs crawling down their back. He's not a Baptist man. I'm Baptist born and Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. I'm Baptist. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.